Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We're excited that you're here. It is still summer, and we're still celebrating. Uh, some of you did really, really good. Uh, it's sunny day. I can never say it right. Summer day, sunny day Sunday. There you go. See, I mean, I get tongue-tied every time. So again, uh, where we ask you to wear your sundresses, your bonnets, your shorts, your hats, your sunglasses, and some of you did really good. Some of you not so good. Some of you just kind of, that's kind of not your thing. Uh, I get it. But again, uh, for those that did, we thank you. It's just a way to kind of build some fun and build some momentum into summer because lots of things going on, lots of things happening, lots of people displaced, uh, doing lots of different things until kind of like after Labor Day, and that's when things kind of kind of get back uh, into a predictable rhythm. So again, we're honored that you're here, thankful that you're here, thankful for those that are joining us online, uh, always on Facebook Live. Again, that's exciting to have them. And again, let me say to those that are joining us on Facebook Live, comment, let us know where you're watching from. Not just let us know where you're watching from, take a moment and share this from our Facebook page uh, to your Facebook page. Again, it's so important uh, for people to see this. They'll see it today and they'll see it throughout the week if you share it to your Facebook page uh, where other people can see it. Let me make sure that you know uh, that our next Sunday that is themed is actually going to be September the 10th. That's two weeks from today. Uh, and it's are you ready for some football Sunday? You know, so again, uh, we want you to dress up. We want you to wear your favorite team's jersey, your coats. I don't think you want to wear a coat just yet, but uh, hats, whatever, you know, whoever you support, uh, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Titans, uh, just wear it, okay? We don't care and have some, and have some fun with it, and uh, you can make fun of Vanderbilt fans like me. I mean, I know so, but again, hey, we won last night. 35 to 28. Yes, yes, we won. Yes, we did. So again, hey, you know, when I think about the, when I think about the ministry of Jesus, uh, one of the things I, I notice in the Gospels is that there seems to be this, this statement that Jesus makes over and over again. He has, he has a three-year ministry, and, and, and again, in that three-year ministry, there's one statement that he seems to say over and over, and I'm not going to tell you what it is just yet. But I, I kept seeing it over and over and over, and it kind of caused me to go back and, and read the Gospels. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I think I found it at least 15 times. 15 times Jesus makes this one statement, and that statement was this, don't be afraid. Now, look at that. We're going we're gonna to leave that up there in just a moment. Because when you think about those words, those three words, don't be afraid, that, that, that's something. Just think about that statement and think about your life right now. Think about the things that you're going through personally, and not just the things that you're going through personally. Think about the things that are happening in our world, the craziness of this political division. I mean, the ugliness of people that you thought you liked. Or you thought liked you. And what we've seen happen over the last three or four years, it's gotten worse and worse and worse. And many of us go home at night and we're somewhat fearful for our lives. Wondering exactly what could happen. And Jesus comes along and he says these words, don't be afraid. 
And you think about that, that, that statement, and you think about those three words, and, and it kind of causes you to ask the question, well, what, what does that really mean? Because I think when you hear that statement, don't be afraid. The goal is not for you and I to use that statement so that we can in turn use God to live a fear-free life. In fact, here's the thing you need to know. You'll never have a fear-free life if your goal is to have a fear-free life. Because God is not a means of avoiding fear. So think about the statement again. Don't be afraid. Because when you think about the statement, here's what you start to see. The question we ask is, 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 is not really how can I fear less, but really how do I trust God more? Listen, listen to me, Crossroads. You don't, you don't have a fear problem. You have a faith problem. And the Bible addresses this by telling us a story. And the story says that Je Jesus had been preaching and teaching, and, 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 and Jesus had just fed, five, the Bible says, 5,000 men, which did not include women and children. So he probably has just fed like fifteen to 20,000 people. He's done this amazing miracle, and because of the miracle that Jesus has done of the loaves and the fishes, wonder bread, and chicken of the sea. By the way, I was scrolling through Instagram this morning. Don't worry, Carol. Uh, and, and I saw this guy make an amazing sandwich. Uh, it was a chopped BLT. Makes me, I don't know why I'm even saying that, but it, just, it was really good. He took a, this guy who was the, the chef on, on Instagram took a little and looks like he made a lot. Well, that's what Jesus did. He took a few fish and a few loaves of bread and he feeds like 20,000 people. And because of the miracle that Jesus had done, the people say, this guy needs to be the king. He needs to be the king. We want to make him a king because doing things like this, he would make a wonderful king. I mean, think about it. A guy takes a few fish and a, and a little bread and makes so much that he feeds literally thousands of people. If he can do that with these people, just think if he was the king, think what he could do with an army. Think what he could do with a country. So the people wanted to make Jesus the king, but Jesus lets the people know that he's not that kind of king. And it's very probable that the disciples thought that the idea that the people had to make Jesus the king, that that was a great idea. Because honestly, the disciples wanted to see Jesus made into the king. But Jesus says no. Jesus says no to the disciples, no to the people. And Jesus tells the disciples, I need you guys to get into the boat. It's time to move on. Disciples, Jesus is talking to the disciples, give up your idea of power, give up your idea of glory, and just trust me, get into the boat. 
So for the disciples to, to follow the words of Jesus and to actually get into the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee, it's actually an act of trust. It's actually an act of obedience for the disciples. Now, when you look at the story, you, you kind of have to understand that when the disciples got into the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee, it was probably still daylight. daylight they still had daylight saving time. It had not changed. So they get into the boat, and they, they start out across the Sea of Galilee. And remember that these are the disciples that are in the boat. And most of these disciples, when they were called to be followers of Jesus, fishers of men, most of those guys, or a good bit of those guys, were actually trained fishermen. Which means they knew all about boats. They knew all about fish. And they knew all about weather. So they set out in the middle, uh, in the boat, in the, in the middle of the night, and the storm blows in. And the storm is so intense that the people in the boat, the disciples, they, they don't actually think that they're going to make it. They don't think that they're going to live through the storm. So let's look at what Matthew records in Matthew chapter 14. We're actually starting down at verse 25. If you're having your Bible and you want to look, otherwise it's going to be on the screen, you know, I encourage you, always bring your Bible, bring your uh, iPads, bring whatever you use to keep notes, take notes, do that, but we'll always have it on the screen. Here's what it says, Matthew chapter 14. The storm has come upon the disciples in the boat out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and Matthew writes, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out, there it is, cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. And here's the statement. Here's one of the places we see it. Don't be afraid. Well, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and began and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Time out. I just need to make this clear this morning. I, I understand most of you are hearing me speak about this story. And I understand most of you think, you know, wait, 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 wait. I've, I already know this story. It's like the story of Noah. Everybody knows the story of Noah. Everybody knows this story. Even people that haven't been to church very much or people don't, don't know much about the church, they know this story like they know the story of Noah. So I'm telling you and those watching online, there's a tendency right now for you to kind of disengage and go into the kitchen and fix yourself another cup of coffee. Or you right here to pull out your phone and start scrolling. I can see you. So, you, you, you know, I see that light on your face. And you really need to put that down. 
But I'm just telling you, don't disengage because here's the thing. This story, like so many other stories in Scripture, all the stories in Scripture are full of just unbelievable truths that you and I need to see because those truths apply to our life. It doesn't matter what you're going through right now. It doesn't matter where you find yourself. The truths that are in this story that I'm going to get in there and mine out for you, they're applicable to your life. And hopefully they're going to be something different than what you've heard talked about or preached about before. Here's the first thing I see when I look at this. Anything that God leads you to do, come on now, is ultimately going to involve some level of fear. I mean, anything that God leads you to do initially is going to involve some level of fear. I mean, think about it. Who was it that sent the disciples off in a boat on a lake in the middle of the night? Who did that? It was Jesus, right? Those disciples were going to have to learn, just like you and I do, just like we do, that you being obedience, your obedience, you being obedient, your obedience is no guarantee of being spared discomfort. Just because you do what Jesus tells you to do, it doesn't mean you're going to be spared, spared adversity. Think about the storm. Think about the storm. What did the storm do? It got the attention of the disciples. And now that the storm has the full attention of the disciples, Jesus decides that it's time for the disciples to learn a little more about him. To get to know him a little bit better. How do you get to know Jesus a little bit better? Let me tell you, you get to know Jesus a little bit better when you're forced Oh, come on. To lean into him. Because when a storm comes into your life, you have a choice. But that storm will force you to lean into him. And when you lean into him, crossroads, that's when you really get to know him. Let me put that a little differently. Let me, let me give you an equation that you can see and you can write and you can make a note of. See, the storm causes discomfort. Here's the thing I want you to see behind me. Look, discomfort is temporary. But growth is permanent. You'll be uncomfortable when that storm comes into your life, like the disciples were uncomfortable. But remember, discomfort is temporary. Leaning into Jesus, learning who he is, getting to know him a little bit better. That growth that you experience in that is permanent. So remember that anything that God calls you to. It forces you, when a storm comes into your life, to lean into him. And anything that God leads you to will initially involve some level of fear. Here's something else. The greatest purposes of your life, those cannot be discovered while you're hiding. 
Let's park right there. Jay, park that just there just a moment. The greatest purposes of your life cannot be discovered while you're, you're hiding. And you're saying, what are, you, what are you talking about hiding? Who said anything about hiding? Well, think about it in these terms. The boat. The boat is safe. The boat is secure. The boat is comfortable. On the other hand, the water is rough. The winds are is strong and the waves are high. There's a storm out there. And if you get out of the boat, whatever your boat might be, then there's a good chance that guess what? You're going to sink. But if you don't get out of the boat, there's guaranteed certainty that you will never walk on water. Because if you want to walk on the water, you have to get out of the boat. So let me ask you a question this morning that applies to all of us. It's a very simple question. We're going to put it on the screen so that you can see it. Here's the question. What's your boat? What is your boat? And you might say, you know, Randy, I don't, I don't know what my boat is. But I'll tell you what your boat is. Your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you, apart from Jesus himself. That's your boat. For some of you, that's stocks and bonds, jobs. Your boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God himself. Your boat is whatever you are tempted to put your trust in, especially when life gets tough, especially when life gets stormy. Your boat is whatever keeps you so comfortable that you don't want to give it up. Even if it keeps you from joining Jesus out on the waves. Because, see, here's the thing. When you're hiding, you might be surviving. But when you're hiding, you will never be thriving. So here's something I, I want to give you to think about. How, how do I discern the difference? How do I know the difference? Let me use that word. Between the authentic call of God to get out of the boat. How do I discern that voice of God versus my nat natural, rational impulse? Because there's a difference. And the difference between don't be afraid and don't be an idiot That can be a really fine line. And I'm going to tell you, it's a line that's not easy to identify. So you need to remember that the greatest purposes of your life cannot be discovered while you're hiding. You have to get out of the boat.
Let me show you something else I see in this story. It's that fear will never go away. I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for bumper stickers. We don't see them like we used to see bumper stickers. But there used to be a bumper sticker that said something. I tried to find a picture of it, and I could not find one that, that said it like I remember seeing it. But there was a bumper sticker that said this. Look at the screen behind me. It said this. It said, no Jesus, no fear. Anybody see that? You've seen that. No Jesus, no fear. And can I just tell you that's a real cute phrase, but that's dead wrong. Because if you're going to walk on the water, let me, give you, let me give you some real truth about water walking. Fear never goes away. Why? Why does fear never go away? Because each time I want to grow, it's going to involve going into new territory. Taking on new challenges. And each time I go into new territory, each time I take on a new challenge, that territory and that challenge is going to cause me to experience fear again. Why? Look, 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 look. Fear and growth are a package deal. That's just part of life. Let me say it again. Fear and growth are a package. They come together. See, the problem with you and me is that you and me, we want to see the last step before we take the first step. Come on now, right? I mean, we want to see the last step before we take the first step. We want to know how things are going to work out in the end before we take that first step in faith. You and I spend so much time trying to see the end that we never get around to the beginning. So we miss out on what God has for us. And one of the most common questions that I get asked by people is, Randy, when, when do I know I'm ready to step out in faith? When do I know I'm ready to leave my comfort zone? And the truth is this. For you to be ready to trust God and for you to be ready to leave your comfort zone, the answer is you're never going to really be ready. The truth about you is when it comes to being ready, you will never be ready for the most important and the most challenging parts of your life. Because God, listen, listen, listen. God loves using people who are never ready. That's what God loves to do. He loves to use people who aren't ready. See, I, I, I look through Scripture, and I'm not saying that I'm, that I'm you know, Billy Graham. John Hagee, I'm, I'm not saying I'm one of those, yeah, I'm, but I, I look through there and, you know, I don't see many instances, nobody really, where God calls somebody to do something and the person responds by saying, God, I am ready, great timing. 
You came at just the right moment. I paid off the credit card. I filled up the car. I am ready to go. I'm adequately prepared. I don't see it in Scripture anywhere. So if you want to make an impact, big or small, big, deep, and wide, deep, and wide, you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Because listen to me, almost all growth happens at the end of your comfort zone. So remember what I'm saying, my lips to your ears, fear will never go away. Here's something else. There are things worse than failure. Did Peter fail? Well, I suppose he did. His faith wasn't strong enough. His doubts were stronger. He saw the wind. He took his eyes off of where they should have been. And he sank. So in a way, he failed. But, but here's the thing that I think. I think that there were 11 bigger failures in the boat. Oh, yeah. They failed quietly. Those 11 failed privately. Their failure went unnoticed, unobserved, uncriticized. It was only Peter who knew the shame of what it meant to fail publicly. I mean, think about it like this. You, 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 you want to know what keeps me up at night? Other than my bladder, <laughs> you know, I mean. <laughs> Come on now. I mean, I'm, I mean well, let's get an amen in the house today. And let me tell you, for you young people, you get older, it gets worse. I'm just going to tell you. But let me tell you what keeps me up at night. It's thinking about what could have been. The hamster starts moving, baby. What might have been? What might have God accomplished through me if only I would have trusted him sooner? If I had done what God called me to do when I was 17, what might I have become by now? Because sometimes, let me tell you, like you, I want to stay in the boat. I hate to fail. But if I'm really honest, I hate people seeing me fail. Because sadly, sometimes I care more about what people think than what God thinks. The sad truth is sometimes I care more about pleasing people than I do about living a God-inspired adventure. Get ready in them first few rows, all I got to tell you. I read this fascinating article about World Cup soccer. You got to hang with me on this because I know some of you. Come on, you know who I am. You know who I'm talking to. You, you paid big money to go see Messi last week. I know who you are. Just hang with me. 
Consider this. World Cup soccer. The average World Cup professional team scores just around 2.3 goals a game. So what we're talking about gives you an incredible opportunity to become a hero. I'm asking you to pretend that you're standing in a World Cup game and you have the opportunity to kick the penalty kick that gives your team the victory. The goal is 12 yards away. Eight yards across, eight feet high. On average, when you kick that ball, that ball will travel at 80 miles per hour. Which means that the goalie must decide where the ball is going to be kicked before the ball is actually kicked. Because once he decides, he's going to launch his body in the direction that he thinks that you're going to kick the ball. So let's pretend. You're the kicker. And you've got options. So what do you do? You have an option on where you're going to kick the ball. And because you're kind of uneducated about this whole soccer thing, let me give you some information. Let me give you some data. Let me download this into you so that you can make a good decision. Analysis tells us that goalies jump towards the left corner 57% of the time. And to the right, only 41% of the time. That's because most people kicking the ball are right-footed. And going to their left is their strong side. Now that stat also means that the goalie only stays in the center two times out of 100. Now a goalie who leaps left or right can still actually stop the ball. But how often does that actually happen? I'm glad you ask. A kick toward the center, listen, listen, as risky as it may appear, is seven percentage points more likely to go into the goal than a kick to the corner. But while penalty kicks aimed at the center of the goal are significantly more likely to succeed, only 17% of the kicks are actually aimed at the center of the goal. Why? Well, the first reason is this. One thing that you have as the kicker to your advantage is that where you're going to kick the ball is a mystery. If you kick the ball the same place every time, then the goalies are going to end up figuring out where you're going to kick the ball. The second thing is this. The reason that kickers don't aim at the center in a high-state game like a World Cup game, the reason they don't kick the ball like back up and just kick the ball right in the center is one word. Shame. It's the word shame. 
because you're the one that's going to kick the ball towards the goal. When you're standing over the ball and you're ready to make the kick, you have to think, what, what's, what's the incentive here? And you may think it's obvious, right? You want to score and you want to win the game for your team. So if that's the case, then statistics plainly tell you, kick the ball to the center. Dead center. But is that your true incentive? Is winning the game really your true incentive? You're standing over the ball. And you made the decision. You're going to kick the ball to the center of the goal because, again, that's where percentages say you're more likely to score. But then the thought crosses your mind. What, what if the goalie doesn't dive? What if for some reason the goalie stays right planted in the center at home and you kick the ball right into his gut? And he saves the game for his country without even having to budge, right or left. How pathetic would that make you look? Because if you kick it to the corner and he jumps and he stops it, it's just going to seem like your valiant effort to score a goal was stopped by somebody with a more valiant effort. And you won't be the hero. But you won't look like an idiot when you walk off the field. The kick comes down to this. What's your incentive? What's your greatest incentive? Winning the game for your country? Or not looking like an idiot? Because aiming towards the center has the better chance of success. But aiming towards the corner is less risky to your reputation. If your greatest incentive is I don't want to look like an idiot, I don't want to be perceived as a failure, I want to make everyone happy. I want everybody to like me. Then listen, 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 listen. You will never get out of the boat. But if your greatest incentive is I want to be where Jesus is, I want my one and only life to count for something great, then you will get out of the boat. You'll take one crazy risk after another. Living a life of faith. Not to get God to love you because you're already loved. But you'll take risk after risk after risk because that's what living a life of faith is all about. 
Here, here's a question that I'm going to, again, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but I just, I, I proposed this to myself. Why did the other 11 stay in the boat? And honestly, we probably will never know. But I think it's some of the same reasons that we stay in the boat. It's fear of failure. It's fear of potential failure. It's embarrassment. It's inadequacy. It's criticism. Because it's true that Peter is the only one that felt the public sting of failure. Think about it. We're still talking about him today, thousands of years later. But Peter was also the only one who knew three things that I want to show you. Here's the first thing. Failure does not shape you. But the way that you respond is what shapes you. And Peter saw that. And Peter figured that out. Here's the second thing that Peter figured out. With God, anything is possible. Come on now. I mean, think about it. With God, truly anything is possible. He alone knew what it was to attempt to do what he was not capable of doing on his own. And then he felt the joy of being empowered by God to actually do it. Because listen to me this morning, once you walk on water, you will never forget it. Not for the rest of your life. Here's the third thing. In your moment of desperate need, and some of you are there right now, in your finances, in your health, in your relationships, Jesus is going to be there. And Peter knew that in a way that others could not. He knew that when he sank, Jesus would be there, wholly adequate to save him. He had a shared moment. He had a shared connection. He had a shared trust that the other 11 did not have. Listen to me this morning, Crossroads. The worst failure is not to sink in the waves. But the worst failure is to never get out of the boat. I believe that there are very good reasons, many very good reasons to get out of the boat. But for me, there's one reason that trumps all the other reasons. Let me give you the reason why you need to get out of the boat. And here it is. It's because the water is where Jesus is. The water is where Jesus is. And the water looks daunting and the water looks dangerous. The main reason that Peter got out of the boat is because Peter wanted to be where Jesus was. Look at Isaiah 43. When you pass through the waters, 
I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Do not be afraid. For I'm with you. See, oftentimes, it's a single act of courage that becomes the tipping point for extraordinary change. And maybe this morning God is calling you to get out of the boat and trust Him financially. So maybe for some of you, that that step of trusting God financially is to step up in your giving to the church. Maybe, Maybe it's just a small amount. The important thing, listen to me this morning, it's not the amount. The important thing is that you do it intentionally. And that as you do it, as you take that step, you say, okay, God, I'm, tr- I'm trusting you. I'm taking this step because I trust you. God, you know I have financial, financial anxieties. So, God, I want you to give me the courage and the trust and the guidance to take the step. Some of you have been putting something else off. Some of you have been putting off that step of exploring what you think might be a leading of God about your vocation, about the job that you have, about the career that you have. Some of you sense God wanting you to get involved in in ministry, in the ministry of this church. And you haven't pursued that call. And you haven't stepped out of the boat. Here's the thing I would ask you. Purpose that this week you will make at least one phone call, one email, one text message towards that step. Some of you are already out of the boat. You've taken that step. And you know, to you, I say, way to go. But you need encouragement to keep walking towards Jesus. Because let me tell you, if you get out of the boat... If you go, you will face problems. There's a storm out there. Let me tell you, Crossroads, there's a storm out there. And let me tell you this, your faith is not perfect. And you will sink. But there are two things that I know. And here's the first one. When you fall short, and you will, Jesus will be there to pick you up. But here's the other thing. Every once in a while, come on now, you're going to do just like Peter. And you're going to walk on water. I just challenge you. Take that step. And trust God with the rest. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, we just, we're so thankful for the the beauty of Scripture.
the insight that it gives us, the ability to hold on to it when we go through difficult times and difficult circumstances in life. God, we can see one of these stories and read one of these stories and speak one of these stories over and over again, and it's just so beautiful the way that where we are today, it really, really can affect us in a different way than than if we, we had read that story yesterday. So God, I know there are people in this auditorium, people watching us that are they're dealing with uncertainty in their relationships and their finances and their health. And my encouragement this morning is just to all of them is to take that step, to take a step out of the boat, to take a step towards you, Jesus. Knowing that whatever happens, that you're going to be there. to rescue us, to pick us up. But more importantly, regardless of what happens, the beauty is that we want to be where you are. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this worship. We thank you for this church. As we seek to do the things that you've called us to do and to be your people. As we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name.
the future show the price it has been paid Amen. for Jesus bled if suffered for my pardon and he was raised to overthrow the grave to this I hold my sin has been defeated Jesus is now and ever is my Yet not I, but through Christ in me. 